I was not raised in church. I had no dealings with church growing up. My father was a professional football coach. And I was born in 1964. At that time, my mom and dad were living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. My dad was coaching for the BC Lions, the Canadian Football League team there in Vancouver. Mom and dad are both from Mississippi. And uh, I, being born in Vancouver, then my dad would move to St. Louis. Mom and dad, we'd go to St. Louis with the St. Louis Cardinal football team in the 60s. And then back to Canada, he was head coach. And then we'd move back to the States with the New Orleans Saints. He was defensive line coordinator for the Saints. And then we moved to St. Louis in the mid-70s, mid to the late 70s. How many remember the Cardiac Cardinals back in the day? Terry Metcalf, Mel Gray. I mean, those were some great years. And, uh, but it didn't matter. NFL stands for not for long. And so we, we moved from St. Louis to New York. And my dad was with the Jets. And, and then we moved from New York to Atlanta with the Atlanta Falcons during the Grits Blitz years and into the early 80s. And then my dad was fired again, bless his heart. And we moved to Green Bay where he was with the Green Bay Packers. And then... Dad got the revelation that it was time, time to retire. And, of course, no one called him to coach anymore. So we then moved back to Mississippi. But my mom and dad built a house on the Louisiana side on a small, in a small town called Faraday, Louisiana. And uh, we, we would go there. I would finish up high school. And then God blessed me with a football scholarship to Louisiana State University, the number one university in the world. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> well, well you, I lost you right there. I lost you right there. And so I played football at LSU. And while playing football uh, at LSU, I would, I would encounter Christ. Now, my whole life was raised around a very moral and very principled family. But when it came to church, when it came to Jesus, that was a private matter. Mom and dad said, that's for you to decide. That's for you to figure out. They never pointed me in any direction. They, they, yeah, they pointed me to school and they always pointed me to do right. And, and I look back and I, and I actually was raised probably more in a biblical home than I realized. That my parents were probably more biblical than a lot of biblical people. Because when it came to integrity and doing right and working hard. And, but when it came to God, when it came to church, when it came to Jesus... Mom and dad, by the time I was born, they were done with church. Mom had been raised Catholic. Dad was raised Baptist. That meant we were nothing. And... Uh, Sunday mornings, we were in football stadiums. Sunday mornings, that's where we were. Or if we weren't during the season, we were playing golf. And, and so two players, when I was 14 in, in Atlanta, Greg Brazina and Ralph Ortega, they, they would witness to me for the very first time at the age of 14 and told me about Jesus. I remember accurately and adequately hearing the gospel. And I asked Christ to come into my life, but again, not being plugged into church, not being connected to a local house, and having that fellowship, that, that seed would not have that opportunity to grow. And, and then I would go off, and of course, uh, at LSU, January the 10th, 1987. And I was on a deer stand, January the 10th, 1987, sitting up in this tree stand on a Saturday afternoon about 3 o'clock. We had just finished playing in the Sugar Bowl. And sitting there, all of a sudden, I would describe to you, I heard the voice of God for the very first time in my life. Let me just tell you, as human beings, we are voice activated. In the beginning was the what? Was the Word. The Word. The Word. Everything God does... Everything God does. What God's going to do in your life starts with a word. The word activates us. The word makes us alive. And so when I heard these two phrases, 
From that day, watch this, I've never been the same since. Here, here are the two phrases. This is what I heard God say to me. And I did not know God could speak like this. But he said these two words. Today will be the greatest day of your life. And I'm on a deer stand. I'm deer hunting in the middle of the woods. I'm looking literally at the Mississippi River. And the bridge at Natchez is just a couple of miles up the road. And I'm, and I'm listening to, to the tugboats come by. And, and, and I hear the voice of God. Today will be the greatest day of your life. And the second word that I heard that day was, You will never be the same after this day. Now the night before I'd gone out, in fact, Dad and I, we'd had a few beers, and I was planning on going out that night, and, and, and I, had, I had attempted to get plugged in or, or even begin a walk with Jesus while I was at LSU, but, but you know, when you're at LSU in Baton Rouge, man, it's hard, it's, it's hard. I tell people the greatest seminary you can ever go to is LSU, because you're either going to be an alcoholic or you're going to be a preacher, and, and so I, I, I was pretty cold to God on that, on that January the 10th, 1987 day. But I don't care how cold you are today. I don't care how far you are away from God. I don't care how... how listen, let me just tell you. Your, your life is in the hands of God. We're all living on a world that God holds. And when you say, I'm running from God. Maybe you're here today as a first-time guest. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're one of the campuses. And you're, you're saying, I'm just, I'm just on the run from God. And let me just tell you, where are you running to? Where are you going Oh, you're going to the pinky. Oh, you're... I mean, God just looks at you and goes, Oh, wow. You, oh, look, he's way over there. You, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said. It's right there. It's right there. In fact, I want you to look at your hand right now. Look, look at your hand. That's how close Jesus is. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is right there. And you're right there in the palm of his hand, and he looks at us and... And so I was running from God, and, and I was thinking I was running far away, but you don't run very far. You go to the thumb or you go to the pinky. And so on that January the 10th, 1987 day, here's what I heard. You'll never be the same after this day. It's going to be the greatest day of your life. And I thought to myself, God, am I going to kill the world's largest deer today? Am I going to start a reality series called Deer Dynasty? I missed it. I missed it. I will say I missed it. But I did. I said, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to I said it out loud. What are you going to do? And I would finish the hunt. I would actually take a deer out by no means any kind of record. But I would leave and I would go to my uncle's house to get my car. And, and there I got the word that my dad was being rushed to the hospital with a heart attack. He was 60 years of age. And mom and dad were in an ambulance on their way to the hospital. And my mother's sister would say, go to the hospital in Faraday as fast as you can. Meet them there. Instantly I knew, God, not all things are good, but all things will work together for good. And I would arrive at that hospital, and there I was watching my dad come out of that ambulance. And my mom and I are standing there, and I would walk down to this small country hospital bathroom, and I'd close the door, and I said, God, I don't know what's going to happen to my dad. I love him. But I, I know one thing. I heard your voice today. And you said today will be the greatest day of my life. I'll never be the same after this day. And so God, whatever happens to dad, one thing I am going to do from this point on is my life belongs to you. And I'd love to tell you that my dad was miraculously raised up and they were able to save my father from a massive heart attack. But it was not the truth. My dad died that day, January the 10th, 1987. But I'm here to tell you the greatest day of my life was the darkest day of my life. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Count it all a pleasure. In other words, God does His greatest work in our deepest and darkest times.
And the question will be, are you going to go bitter or are you going to go better? The question is, are you going to draw near or are you going to draw from? And on that day, January the 10th, and there I would say, Lord, you've got it. In that bathroom, I said, you've got it. I don't know what's going to happen, but you have it. And from January the 10th, 1987, my life has never been the same. My brothers who are prolific military men, I have a brother that's a two-star general, another brother that's a retired colonel, and, and they thought, well, in 1987 when dad died, that's just kind of the way you're handling dad's death, and it's kind of your way of, of struggling. It's your way of having a crutch in life. And of course, that was 1987, and I love this crutch. Come on, his name is Jesus. I need it. Hey, we all need a crutch. We all need help. We all need a Savior. And so from that day forward, I said, God, I want to go wherever you want me to go, and the Lord has been faithful. And he called me into the ministry, and we would serve for 10 years in Louisiana. We lived in Pierre Park, Louisiana, which is the home of of swamp people. How many know what I'm talking about? We pastored in Pierre Park, Louisiana, and then we moved to Baton Rouge and traveled, and then God would lead us almost 14 years ago to Austin, Texas to plant our church called Celebration. And God would lead me to Herbert. And I just want to say thank God. I thank God for the ways of God. The steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. God, God guards and guides our steps, but listen, He also guides our stops. It's the starts and the stops. And I pray that today, God stops you for just a moment. And He speaks to you. And that He will speak to you sovereignly. And, and He will speak to you, and then specifically, first of all, concerning your salvation today. But Secondly, as you're in a series of messages called Ideal Family, God's going to speak to you concerning your family. Your family. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 18. And, and I want to just talk about ideal marriages. How many are married? Let me see your hand all over this place. How many, are mar How many want to be married? Let me see your hand. How many want to be married again? Let me see your hand. How many don't want to be married to the one that you're married to? Let me see your hand. 19 people need a ride home, Pastor Herbert. <laughs> I was excited to be in Oklahoma City, not only because of people's church, but there was a tractor pull going on downtown. Come on. How many made the tractor pull? Nobody, except from Louisiana. The tractor people are all from Louisiana. And, and here, here's, what, here's what I want to talk about as we're, as we're dealing with this subject, ideal families. Ideal, 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 perfect families. And of course, we know there is no perfect family. If your family's falling apart today, if your kids are falling apart, if your marriage is falling apart, you know what? You can say to the Lord, God, I read in your Bible where you couldn't even keep heaven together. You're the perfect one, and yet you had to throw out Lucifer and a third of the angels. If heaven couldn't stay together, how am I going to keep my marriage together? If you couldn't keep heaven together, if you couldn't keep those people, if you couldn't keep those angels that you created under subjection, Lord, how can I make this work? Come on, how many know right there, that'll set you free. <laughs> that even the greatest leader of all, God, perfect. So we know that there it goes. 
in this dark world against this ideal concept. But, but I liked another angle of looking at it, the ideal marriage. I, how many know you've got to deal? You've got to deal with marriage. You've got to deal sometimes with family. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have some family members you're dealing with? You've got to deal with them. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I'll, I'll deal. I'll work with you. Come on, tell them. Turn to your second choice, your husband, your wife. How many know there's a second choice? See, the first people you know, the second ones you don't like. Just say, hey, good morning. Come on, say good morning. I deal, I deal. I have to deal. And I want to I wanna deal with the subject of marriage today. I want to deal with it. And here's a story that I want to use as a backdrop in the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre and being dark. In fact, the Bible says in that place while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Abraham sitting, sitting outside on his porch. Sitting outside in the heat. That word there in Hebrew is Oklahoma heat. He, he's just sitting out there. Sitting outside on the porch. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, there were, there were three men. Some say the Trinity. Obviously, we know these were angels. These were God's messengers on their way to Sodom and Gabor. But if you will, God. God appeared to Abraham. And the Bible says these were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves afterwards, that you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham, he hurried into the tent to Sarah and he said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a tender and choice calf and he gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. And then he took curds and milk and, and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. And verse 9 here's our key verse and if you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline verse 9 and, and in the midst of this scene in the, in the midst of this setting in the midst of this circumstance here's the question Abraham where is your wife, Sarah? Where is Sarah, your wife? And he grunted in the tent where she belongs. The old lady's over there. Now I want to talk about where, husbands, listen, where is your wife. Wives, I want to talk to you about where is your husband. Genesis 18 and verse 9. Where is she? Where is she? And of course, like most men, Abraham just declared locationally, 
she's at work or she's in the tent or she's at home and or she's in the kitchen she's in the house and and i just think it's remarkable church that that of all the things that they could have said and all the things they could have asked them and all the things they could have talked about when you think about them on their way to sodom on their way to gomorrah on their way to to throw down some fire and some brimstone on these two cities these angels on their way begin to talk about marriage. Because let me tell you what God always is thinking. He's thinking marriage. We're in a battle for marriage. We're in a battle for what God created in marriage. The definition of marriage. And I'm convinced when they, when they ask the question, where is Sarah your wife? They, they were not saying, hey, where is she locationally? These were, if you will, this was God. They know everything. I mean, there's no, there's no loss of information. They, they're always on GPS. They're always aware. And... And of course, in, in the midst of this, they, they, want to, they want to bring Abraham. They want to bring Abraham down to where life really does exist and where life really does happen and, and where right, life really is important. And, 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 and in the midst of all of that world, in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of the dysfunction, in the midst of the chaos, God, God sits us down and He says, let's talk about what really is important. Abraham, your marriage. I know I'm talking to people that are not married. I'm just here to tell you. When you, by God's grace, are married, I never want you to ever think, nor no matter where you are, that we can move away from the subject of our spouses. We need to make sure that our spouses are our constant subjects. We need to make sure that we are always aware, not, not locationally, where is she or where is he, or, or even further, how about in the relationship to our, into our kids, into our families, in our, in our extended relationships. The, the question is still the same. Where, where are they? Where are your kids today? And of course, we like to come back with the easy response and say they're at school or they're here and they're there, but... He, they weren't asking. They weren't asking the location. They were asking the condition. They were asking, "Where is she? Do, do you know where she is?" Abraham, you're sitting outside. She's sitting inside. Obviously, there's a disconnect. You know, when we were first married, we're sitting together. We're sitting on top of each other. Come on, somebody. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? I saw you in that truck at the Monster Jam. I saw you. I saw you last night. You and her. And that Ford 150, sitting on top of each other, sitting right next to each other. How many used to sit right next to each other when you were first dating? Let me see your hand. How many? Well, some of you are like, well, I couldn't. There's a console. And, um, <laughs> but when, when you're early on in that relationship, you're, wherever you go, you're sitting right next to each other. 
and, and, and you can tell they're probably newly married. And, and Lori and I, we went, in fact, we were in Houston uh, two days ago. We had to go down and, and apply for our, uh, it's a, a global entry pass for our passport. We just wanted to be able to go through a lot faster, the TSA. And we had to interview with the, the Custom and Border Patrol people at the Houston airport. And so Lori and I, we're 24 years in our marriage, and we're sitting there. And, and then they call us, and then they call another couple. And we come in, and we sit in this little room. And, and the border and the, the customs agent says, I need you to watch this video. So the four of us are sitting there, and that couple, and then me and Lori, and, and, and they're holding hands. I'm, I'm looking at them. They're, we're watching how to operate the computer when you come into the country and how to swipe your passport. And, and I'm looking at this man and this woman, and they're about, oh, in their early 40s, and they're, they're holding hands. And they're not just holding hands. They're interlocked, and, and he's rubbing her. And I'm like... I turned to my wife, I said, are we supposed to be holding hands? Do you feel neglected? I said, look, look. And Lori says, that's because they're not married. They're about to get married. I said, how do you know that? She goes, I heard them talking to the border and the customs official that they're about to get married. They don't even have the same last name. I said, oh, thank God. Now I know. Because had they been married 24 years and we're not holding hands, and they are, I'd have felt bad. I said, get your hands off me. But you can tell early on. How many know what I'm talking about? But now, I don't know how many years, but here you've got Abraham sitting in one room and, and Sarah sitting in another. Where are you sitting today in your relationship to your spouse? Where are you sitting today? Oh, she's sitting right here. He's sitting right there. No, 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 no. You know what I'm talking about. Because you can look today like you are sitting together, but then you get in that car, you're not sitting together. You get in that car, you get into that house, you get into that world, and you're not sitting together. You're, 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 not, you're not as close as, as you once were. Abraham, where is she? And you know, God could have talked about the end times. God could have talked about judgment. God could have talked about fire. God could have talked about hell. God could have talked about all that he was about to do into that city of Sodom and that city of Gomorrah. He could have talked about a lot of doctrinal things and a lot of truths and a lot of things. But you know what he wanted to talk about? He said, Abraham, let's get down to where life really happens and that is in your home. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your marriage. And I think there are questions that we need to pose today. I, I think just as they were asking Abraham the question, where is Sarah, your wife? I want to pose to you some questions about your marriage. And, and, and then really, as much as anything, I want you to walk out of here. I want you to walk out of here, and, and I want you to go home. I want you to go to the restaurant. I want you to get into your small group that, that you do life with. And I want these questions to be Talked about at People's Church over these next several weeks. You've got a marriage conference coming up. You're, 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 you've got a church that believes and, and, in fact, understands the importance of marriage. But, but I want us to get down into how can we make sure that, that we, we are not allowing the devil to mock God one more time in the breakup of another marriage. Because every time a marriage falls apart, every time, let me just tell you something, marriage is the embodiment in the earth of God's covenant. 
Nothing communicates the gospel like a marriage. Nothing. It's the gospel according to marriage. And if I were to ask you, do you ever want to lead people down the wrong road by giving them a wrong gospel? Does anybody want to give a wrong gospel? Does anybody want to say, well, you can be saved by believing in this name, and you can be saved by believing in that name, or you can go to heaven without Jesus, and all you have to do is this, and all you have to do is that. How, how many want to give accurately and adequately the gospel route? How many know what I'm talking about? You, you don't want to lead anybody. When it comes to eternal life, you want to make sure everybody gets that right. Well, here's the fact. God has set up the marriage to preach the gospel. And if we are to get anything right, if we really care about people going to heaven, if we really care about people having eternal life, we've got to really care about our marriage. Abraham, where is she? Because you've got to get that right. Because when I'm done with this city, when I'm done, when I'm, when I'm finished bringing, bringing judgment, they're, they're going to need an example. They're going to need a way. They're going to need life. They're going to they're need a pattern. They're, they're going to need to see it lived out between you and Sarah. Where is she? And I never want you to ask me, where is Lori? And I'm like, well, she's over there, but... I know what you're asking. You're not asking locationally. You're asking conditionally. You're asking spiritually. You're asking emotionally. You're asking psychologically. Or, uh, psychologically. Here's what the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23. The Bible says that you are to know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. Now, now, now your wife is not a flock or a herd. Come on, somebody. Your husband, he is an animal sometimes, but that's not what... That's not the principle. Know well the condition. That word condition means know well the face. Know well their face. Know their face. Do, do, you, know their, do you know their face? Because the face is revealing the heart. Do you know their heart? What are those four questions that I want to just pose to you in the next few moments that we have? Four key questions that we all need to talk about, that we need to ask and we need to consider. Number one, when it comes, when it comes to marriage, or your future marriage, number one, what is the source of your love? You see, here's the first, here's the first thing that you've got to get right. The source of your love to each other, the source, the, the passion, the, 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 the connection, the source or the fuel of a marriage cannot be him or her. It's got to be God. Because if you're not careful, if you say, well, she feeds me or she completes me or he makes me feel good, he, his body or his physical attraction or her body or her, her physical attraction and all of the things that we could talk about from the chemistry to we're best friends and, and he, he gets me or whatever all of that may be in your discussion and, and why you married him or why you marry her or why you will marry him or her. You've you got to understand that if it's not God, that man, that woman is only set up to fail in the future. Because the truth is only God can be the source of your love. Only God. Come on, say those two words. Only God. Only God can meet truly our needs, not her. We all have four needs in life. Here they are. You want to know them? Acceptance is number one. How many want to be accepted? You just want to, you want to be accepted. 
for all that I am, all that I have, all that I've done. What you see is what? What, what you get. You got to accept it. You see, we all have a need for acceptance, regardless of where we came from, regardless of our color, regardless of our economic background. We all have a need for identity. Do people know my name? Do people know my name? Do they know who I am? We all have a need for security, to feel secure, protected. Fourthly, we all have a need for purpose. And I'm here to tell you, your husband, your wife cannot give you that ultimate acceptance. They can't give you that identity. They can't give you that security. They can't give you that purpose. That only comes from God. Only God's love is perfect, permanent, and powerful. Because you know what happens in life. Kids happen in life. Life happens. Jobs happen. Travel happens. Things happen. And that once was your fuel until life happens. That fuel, that source was there. But then all of a sudden things begin to take place. Well, I don't feel like I used to feel. I, I don't have that love. I don't have that. Listen, only God's love is perfect, permanent, and powerful. You've got to give that spouse up in other words you, you got to quit making that spouse your god i i cannot say Lori, you got to meet all my needs she can't meet all my needs can i hear an amen? amen number two the second key question that we have to ask ourselves how are we serving each other come on say the word serve, serve. you see let me just tell you what happens when you're dating, when you're involved in the early process of the relationship, or even in the marriage, it's like Abraham. Guess what Abraham was doing? When you find Abraham meets these angels, he's like, man, I want to bless you. I want to offer to you. I want to nurture you. I want to I wash your feet. I want to bake you bread. I want to give you some brisket, some Oklahoma barbecue. Notice, notice the attention that he gives to what is of God or, or what is important to him or, or people that come into his life all of a sudden but then when it comes to his wife he's like hey these guys are hungry you better put some cake put something on praise the Lord it's such an honor to have you may I wash you I love 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 you and hey hurry up woman isn't it amazing how when it comes to God or when it comes to our friends or when it comes to our hobby, we bless. But then when it comes to our spouses, we bark. You know why? You know why you start barking at the people that you once loved? You stop serving them. You see, whenever you stop serving her or whenever you stop serving him, whenever you stop serving the church, I'm here to tell you, you make it your slave. You can come to people's church, serve, get involved. And he's like, I love this church. And then you stop serving and then it becomes, all right. All right, come on. What you going to do for me? Help me. Feed me. Clothe me. Wash me. Change me. Come on, change me. Change me. Can't change you with your arms folded. I can change you if you're like this. You see what happens with that wife? What happens to that husband? When you stop serving, you just make them slaves. See, see, slaves are abused. 
Slaves you yell at. Slaves you mistreat. Slaves you put down. Slaves you dominate. But when you serve, you know what serving does? It makes you equal. It makes you humble. It makes you intimate. And it brings success to your marriage. Can I hear an amen? amen. You see, you and I have got to be very careful. But she's ugly. She doesn't look like she once looked. She's enjoyed too many cakes. Let me tell you how pretty she'll become when you start serving her. Listen, the car that I hated growing up driving, put a little armor on, all of a sudden, I'm taking a selfie in front of it. Crack dashboard and all. I'm like, man, this car looks good. Just put 19 pounds of armor all on. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Here's the third question. Who are the friends? Who are the, who are the friends to your marriage? That's the third question. Who are the friends to our marriage and family? Here's a fact. Bad marriages and good marriages run in groups. When you find one group of friends beginning to unravel through divorce or adultery, I'm going to just tell you, it runs in groups. You better have a friend's circle, a friendship in your marriage, a friend's around you, in your circle of friends. Listen, I'd rather have the wounds of a friend, the bruises of a friend, than the kisses of an enemy. I'd rather have a friend get in my business and say, let me tell you, you don't take care of Lori like you should. You are not ministering to Lori like you should. You're quick to take care of the church. Oh, you're quick to bless the church. You're quick to bless the Lord. Look at you loving on God. I, I never forget. Lori and I, when I was pastoring in Louisiana, I quit, um, I, I quit the conversation. I said, hey, I'm just going to church. We'll pick this up later. I was pastoring a church. And so I said, hey, I can't deal with this. We'll talk later. And bye. Bam. Slam the door. Get to church. And I have to go pray. Lord, I just love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today. Such a special way. That's why I praise you. I lift you up. Magnify your name. And here's what I hear from the Lord. No, you don't. I said, oh, yes, I do. No, no, I, you don't love me. You don't magnify me. You don't glorify me. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. And I hear the Lord say, shut up. <laughs> Call your wife and apologize. Get in that car and go back home. That's why I praise you. <laughs> Lift you up. Listen, God was being a friend. He told me to shut up. He told me to shut up. He wounded me. He bruised me. Because he's been a friend of my marriage. That's the problem about being a pastor. When you fight with your wife on your way to work, it's hard to get work done. <laughs> Here's the fourth and final question. How are you going to handle? How will you handle the negative emotions and the difficult situations in life? Listen, it's going to happen. Weeds are going to come. The garden that God wants us to all have in our marriages, in our relationships, in our homes... It's going to have bugs. It's going to have diseases. It's going to, it's going to develop some issues. Do you trust God? Or are you going to trust the emotional feeling? Are you, going to, are you going to put God first? 
or are you going to allow those negative situations, those negative emotions, those negative circumstances, those faults and those weaknesses of your spouse, are you going to let those dominate? How, how are you going to face those issues? You see today as we close, where is she? Where is he? Or in all of our families, do you know where your family is today? Would you bow your heads, please, as Pastor comes?